Oh God, you brighten all our darkness. Within our lamp, you are the light. Let all the peoples sing your worth. Praise your name through all the earth. Please be seated. When Catherine and Ashley and I sat down a while ago to map a trail through this Lent, we started by wondering, what does Old South need to hear now in this very particular season of change? Lent, I think, is about making a concerted effort to remember God forward along the way to wherever it is we're going. So how could we be helpful in helping God to call you, Old South, to yourself, to our work, listening together for the particular things that God might be wanting us to hear and think about now, at this moment around the halfway point of the, can you believe it, fourth century of your ministry here. And while we were thinking about that, Mitchell suggested that we might want to be paying attention to the old songs that we're taking along as we go. You know, the way songs well up when you're on your way somewhere and there's just a song that comes and stays and keeps you company. I've heard it said that no movement of human liberation ever succeeded in the absence of a cache of songs to be the waves on which the change could ride. Ein fester Burg est unser Gott. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Woke up this morning with my mind set on freedom. We are family. <laughs> So we've been leaning on the Psalms, marinating in the ancient songs that our forebears wrote because they needed them, and letting them be reinscribed in us, showing us a way forward. Two weeks ago, Catherine reminded us that everyone worships something, holds something at the apex of value. So we make the life-giving choice to invest our devotion in the one whose love made the whole world and who makes us whole with love. And then last week, Ashley reinscribed that beloved old song that calls us to rest in the green pastures beside the still waters, calls us to lay it all down at least long enough to restore our souls in preparation for all that the one we worship will call us on to. Well, this week I've got quite a different old song for you. Because we can't leave Lent without a sojourn in that other part of our memory, can we? Not the beloved sanctuary, not the green pastures, but the darker, deeper place. This translation of Psalm 130 
by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi with one change from his beautiful rendition using the beloved personal prayer name for God that Jesus used, Abba, instead of the beloved personal holy name for God that the Jewish tradition uses, Yahweh. Psalm 130. From the deepest place in me I call you forth, Abba. Hear what is in my voice. Let your ear hear my pleading tone. If you, Abba, were to watch for sins, who could stand it? Though you are so generous with pardon, we are too scared to seek it. Still, Abba, I hope. My very soul hopes for it. Please send me your loving word. Among the watchers for the dawn, Abba, Am I yearning for your grace to end my darkness? Your people look to you, Abba. You are so gracious, Abba. So much do you free us all. Yes, Abba, you will definitely free your people from all our sins. We can't leave Lent without remembering the songs that welled up in us too, out of the depths. De profundis, as the first words of the psalm have it in Latin. When we were afraid, lonely, bereft, guilty. Because if Lent is about making a concerted effort to remember God onward along the way to wherever it is we're going, we have to be honest too about having been in the depths. There are times when the spiritual life is all about deep calling unto deep. Times when our voices feel very small and far away and hard to hear. But when we long beyond all else to be heard. Times when we ache to be heard from the midst of something that weighs on us. Something that needs mending or healing. Maybe something we did or didn't do. Something we wish hadn't happened. Something that needs to be finished or needs to be begun. Though the word patience doesn't appear in Psalm 130, it's a song full of waiting. Patience is a deep place not very many of us are comfortable in or very good at, I think. W.H. Auden wrote that the most real thing about us is that we are waiting. And sometimes I think we know who we really are by what we're waiting for. Sometimes I think we know how real we are, feel how real we are by how earnestly we're waiting to be heard at last, to be known, to be embraced, to be forgiven, to be made whole. Psalm 130 never really leaves that place. Actually, it sort of doubles down on that place. In fact, there's a line in Psalm 130 that doesn't quite appear this way in the translation I read for you a moment ago. A line that's so poignant for the ancient poet that they put it in twice. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchers who watch for the morning more than the watchers who watch for the morning. 
I mean, that seems to me like one of those moments when the Bible stops sounding like the Bible for a minute and starts just sounding like the words that you'd overhear someone breathing out on a long sigh while staring out the window more than those who watch for the morning. If you've ever watched in the deepest last hour of the night for the coming of the morning, then you know that it doesn't come like the flipping of a switch or even push the darkness back along some kind of line of scrimmage or something. Light and dark at times of transition almost seem like they're part of the same thing, as though the atoms of space were turning themselves one by one, infinitesimally, almost as though light and dark are yearning for us to try to understand that they're different parts of the same thing. I think the Psalms hold light and dark together like that. Stephen Mitchell, who is a great translator of Hebrew poetry and also a great poet himself, says that the Psalms speak as both poetry and prayer. Some of them are very great poems. But as prayer, even the greatest poems are inadequate. Pure prayer begins at the threshold of silence. It says nothing. It asks nothing. It is a kind of listening. The deeper the listening, the less we listen for until the silence itself becomes the voice of God. Sometimes it's the waiting, the leaning, the longing, the hoping that teaches us who we are again. Sometimes we know who we are again by what we're longing for, what we're listening for, what the silence sounds like to us. It's worth noticing that the experience of crying out from the depths de profundis in this old song gets some of its particular gravitas from the particular need to be forgiven, the need to be set free from past choices, the need for restored relationship, and the need is both personal and communal in the psalm, both I am yearning for your grace and your people look to you. And there's a bit of wordplay submerged in there that I don't want you to miss. The psalmist is watching earnestly for God, but the psalmist knows that if God were to watch for sins, none of us could stand it. If God watched us the way we watch God, well, let's try a different paradigm, says the psalmist. 
as Brian Stevenson, the moral giant of our time who is inventing a whole new paradigm before our very eyes, as Brian Stevenson, who created the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama, says, none of us, not a single one of us, can be reduced to or defined solely by the worst thing we've ever done. The cry that comes from the depths of that place is real, about what needs to be made right and real about the way in which each of us alone and all of us together are implicated in that. And the prayer that hovers between light and darkness, between sigh and silence, is already the sign of God's presence, the sound of God still speaking, the sure print of the God who is known first and always as the one who will never despise a broken and contrite heart, the one who forgives. As Dr. Daw says, God is the one who gives us space to turn around in. When we call out to that God from that deep, dark place, God is already there because God gets us out of it by stepping into it. That is the lesson, the masterpiece, the mot juste of Jesus, the Word made flesh. The depth and the darkness are not the opposite of God. They are the threshold of God. So we need our old songs, not just when the cup of well-being runneth over, not just when our instincts to worship spill out into praise, but also and especially when in the course of listening so hard, so carefully to hear God's voice, we find ourselves hearing the sound of our own voices coming from the depths, from the places of unfinished business and unhealed relationships. Our voices telling the truth to God and to ourselves of our real life, the intimations of our complicity, the ache of our need and our longing. Jesus needed those songs to help him with those prayers. And as you'll hear, beginning next Sunday and for a whole week afterwards, there was almost never a moment when there wasn't one of those old songs on his lips or in his heart. As I was thinking about how Lent somehow manages to hold together the green pastures and the unplumbed depths, noticing how both kinds of songs are inscribed in us and how sometimes the light and the darkness, I don't know, seem to somehow be part of the same thing. Well, I realized that I wanted to bring something to show you. On the night of my ordination, very many years ago. One of the great heroes of my young life gave me a pair of sea stones to hang on to. The words written on the stones tell two different truths about the way life is. And they seem at first 
to flat out contradict each other. Maybe you've heard these words before. They're in wide circulation, thank goodness. The words come from the Torah and the Talmud, from the depths of Jewish wisdom. And though my friend gave them to me to hold on to, over the years I've discovered that actually it's the other way around. The words have been holding on to me, like an old song, I guess. The stones say, I am dust and ashes, and for me, this world was created. I am dust and ashes, for me, this world was created. According to Rabbi Simcha Bunim, a great Polish Hasidic teacher at the end of the 18th century, everyone should have two pockets with a note in each pocket so that they can reach into one or the other depending on the need. When feeling lowly and depressed, discouraged and disconsolate, one should be able to reach into one pocket and there find the words bishfili nivraha olam, this world was created for me. And when feeling high and mighty and full of oneself, one should reach into the other pocket and find the words, Va'anohi afar ve'afer, I am but dust and ashes. I think the opposite of God is not that place of deep, unrequited longing, but the shallow place of indifference, not the depth or dark that languishes in the absence of light, but the cavalier light that is unscathed by the cry from the depths. I am dust and ashes, and for me this world was created. The opposite of God is the certainty that only one of these things can possibly be true, because God is what fuses them together. The prayer from the deep that verges on silence is already resonant with God's voice. The old song that wells up in anguish from the depths of longing and contrition and the hunger for reconciliation is the old song that will see us home. So maybe it isn't a surprise after all that Jesus' instructions about prayer, which Tish read for us, are as lean as they are. No need for lots of phrases. That's not what God is listening for. God knows where you are. You are heard, though keep speaking. But listen, listen. And most of all, Jesus says, most of all, forgive. Forgiveness is what you crave. And you know what that feels like to crave that. So put things right. You are not reducible to the worst things you've ever said or done or been. Just make it right. And when you pray from the deep, remember that darkness and light are closer to each other than is easy to imagine. Don't let your ache disfigure you, 
says Jesus. Wash your face, brighten your eyes, turn your face into the direction of the dawn you're watching for, and anoint yourself with the oil of love. For God knows already that you are dust and ashes and made the world out of love for you anyway. There's an old song, I Love, Like Life Itself, written just after this church, this congregation, had celebrated its first centennial so a while ago, but not all the way back as far as you're concerned. The author was William Cowper, an Englishman, who suffered periodic depressions severe enough even in the 18th century to require hospitalization. Not long after he attempted suicide, William Cowper wrote these words. God moves in a mysterious way, great wonders to perform. God plants a footstep in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, God treasures up such bright designs to work the sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. May it be so. Amen.